One Week Season. OWS fam, welcome to the week five edition of the OWS Angles podcast. I am your host. I am your guest. I am JM to win. As always, throw this baby on 1.5x speed or 2x speed, and let's get started. This afternoon, I did my Rotor Grinders show with Squirrel Patrol, which, by the way, if you are unfamiliar with that show, if you haven't listened to that show, it's like a usually like a 30 to 40 minute show. It's called Solo Ship. The concept of it is that it is a single entry show, but it's actually evolved into Squirrel Patrol and me talking about the slate and kind of just swapping ideas, not even going game by game or position by position, but just talking about the slate in whatever way that conversation evolves. If you're unfamiliar with Squirrel Patrol, that doesn't particularly surprise me because he's not a big personality in the DFS space, but he is one of the, by far, one of the sharpest DFS players to have ever graced DFS. Uh, I think he's probably approaching like 100 live final seats at this point, won a Millie Maker earlier this season on a uh, two-game slate, and is just consistently one of the most profitable DFS players in every sport. So uh, love having that opportunity to just have a conversation with him each week. And uh, yeah, you can find that on Roto-Grinders called Solo Ship. But we were talking about that the this week's slate. And when we finished the show, I said to him, I, I said, I really don't know what I'm doing this week. And he said, yeah, you seem a little bit less confident than normal. And I said that I'm I'm highly confident in this week and in the available profit on this week. And I'm highly confident that if we could play out this slate a hundred times, this would be a massively profitable week for, I said to him, for me, but to you, I'll say for us, it'd be a massively profitable week for the OWS fam. And, you know, we're four, I would estimate that we're 4-0 in terms of profitable weeks. I think that's a pretty comfortable estimation so far, given, you know, last week we had uh, just among our our six-figure caches, we had well over $500,000 in wins from those. We had another week where we had well over $100,000 from one person's win. um, And I doubt that we have significantly over $100,000 in entry fees from the the OWS fam as a whole. so yeah, I think it's pretty comfortable looking through the Binks channel on Discord to say that the OWS fam is 4-0. But I would also venture to guess that this week would be the OWS fam's most profitable week of the season so far if we could play out week one 100 times, week two 100 times, week three, week four, and this week, week five, 100 times. Just because I think it sets up really well for us. It sets up really well for us because... We know that chalk always forms, and yet there are no plays this week that really stand out head and shoulders above the other plays. Why I, at the same time, am like, I don't know where I'm going this week is because there are no plays that stand out head and shoulders above the other plays which means that the chalk plays this week don't stand out head and shoulders above the other plays. This is one of those weeks that we bring up from time to time where we say, if if these players who are chalky this week were on a different slate, they might be going overlooked or just have moderate ownership, whatever the case might be. But they are chalk this week because there's just not a ton to love on this slate. That's different, however, from the weeks where we look at the chalk and we're like, oh, wow, this is this chalk. This is owned higher than it should be. And these other plays over here are owned way lower than they should be. And we're just playing the clearly better plays at lower ownership. And those weeks obviously are uh, the, the biggest edges that we can find. But on this particular week, it's more like the the plays that are coming in as chalk right now are not bad chalk in the context of this week, but they're also not significantly better plays than the plays that are going to grab moderate ownership or even a lot of the plays that will grab low ownership. And yet 
those plays that are going to grab moderate or low ownership and are also good spots and given a different narrative or a different set of recent performances that are influencing projection systems, whatever it might be, that these other plays that could also have been chalk this week, they're also not dramatically better than these plays. And so it's kind of this pool of like, hey, here's a a pretty large pool. You see it in my player grid this week, like a pretty large pool of pretty solid plays. And so what separates one of these plays from the others, right? And so uh, for us, we can recognize that and not get married to the chalk and we can kind of mix and match pieces and build sharper rosters than the field is building and just position ourselves to make money over time. But it also is a sort of week where I don't necessarily know exactly where I'm going myself. And when I said in fewer words, when I said that to Squirrel Patrol, he said that that's basically him every week on Friday. And he said, you know, every week on Friday, I know kind of what I like and what I don't like and where I might be going. And then on Sunday morning, when I build my rosters is when I figure it all out. And uh, of course, Squirrel Patrol plays all the other sports. And but also he's less central to content at Roto Grinders than I am at one week season. And so what I mean by that, what I said to him was what's interesting on my end is ideally we do wait until Saturday night to make our final decisions or Sunday morning to make our final decisions. And as I've talked about recently with my process, right? Like uh, I've said it multiple times this week alone in various places that I look at the week almost like uh, if it were an NFL week and you were a, a, a player or a coach or whatever, like the whole week is my practice and my prep. And then Saturday night is when I actually go out there as if it's game day and build. And the example I've used this week is I saw something this week from Shane Steichen, the Colts head coach, former Eagles offensive coordinator, where he talked about how the whole week he's building out his play sheet But when he's in the flow of the game, you know, he has his play sheet categorized where it's like, hey, here's my second and seven calls. Here's my third and one calls and everything is organized. But when he gets in the flow of the game, there might be a second and seven where it's like, oh, you know what play is going to work right here is this play that's in a different part of my sheet or maybe this play that's not on my play sheet at all. And so I have to be able to grab that that play on game day and just be in the flow on game day. And so basically 80 to 85% of those decisions are made throughout the week where it's like, Hey, here's my play sheet. And here's what we're going to do in these different situations because of what the defense is good. This defense is probably going to throw at us and what we're good at and um, what we're equipped to do this week. But then there's always going to be that for an offensive coordinator, offensive play caller, that 10, that 15, that 20% that is not on the play sheet or is not categorized the same way. And you're just pulling it in the flow of the, the game. And so my week is very much like that, especially at this point with the process I've built to where the week is getting everything to a point where it's 80%, 85%, sometimes as much as 90% figured out before I head into Saturday night. But I still start from scratch on Saturday night. I still go game by game. I still kind of firm up my allocations and my player pool and exactly how things are going to shape up for my builds on Saturday night with, with a completely open mind. And so when I compare that to what I had earlier in the week, 80, 85, 90% of that's going to match up, but there's that extra 10, 15, 20% that comes together on Saturday night that wasn't there before. And then it's one of the reasons why I encourage you as a DFS player to have a process that starts from a broad funnel and that moves down to a smaller funnel by the end of the week and that doesn't make any final decisions until the end of the week because that allows you to get in that moment where you kind of make those final decisions there. But going back to the conversation with Squirrel Patrol, I said to him, you know, there because OWS started in 2018 with just me, I was the only, you know, Levitan and I had our Friday show and Silva did preseason content for us. But once we were in season in terms of written content, I was the only person providing content. And then in 2019, we brought Zandamir on board for showdown games, but I was still the only person writing uh, any late week content with the player grid. We didn't have the scroll back then. We didn't have all these other pieces. We didn't have the slate podcast. We didn't have uh, other people handling the NFL edge games. And so I said that basically like there's still an element on OWS of a lot of people are, are here for my content. And so 
and and my content kind of ends outside of you know the the player grid update that I always do. My content pretty much ends, uh, you know, by Friday evening, and so I always want to have like as while knowing that I need to leave myself flexibility for Saturday night, I always want to get as close as I can by the end of Friday so that my content is as sharp and as useful as it can possibly be, right? I don't want to hamper my own DFS play by saying, hey, here's exactly what I'm doing because then that can block me out from making those Saturday decisions when I'm in that game day sort of mindset. But I also want to make sure that I'm getting as absolutely close, like here is my play sheet. Here's what it looks like this week. And so most weeks, my Friday content, it's like, here's my player pool. And you've seen it. I've done a Sunday morning update every week so far this year. If you've come back and checked the Sunday morning update, if you haven't, I encourage you to do that because always my my sort of final pieces are in there. But uh, if you have checked that, you've seen that every week, it's like most things are as expected based on the player grid. And then here's a few things that have changed or been added or been adjusted, whatever it might be. Uh, This week, my player grid is more like I'm 70% of the way there to what my actual builds will look like. And it's a thing of the way that this week shapes up to where I'm going to head into Saturday night with a little bit more flexibility than I typically have heading into Saturday night. So it's an interesting week in that regard. And I lay all of that out, not because uh, I don't expect that any of you would have, if I hadn't said all that, that any, or at least that many of you would have read the player grid and been like, oh, this seems like a broader pool than normal, or this seems a little bit different than normal. So much as I said, say, this is what this week provides us. And every week we want to be opponent specific, so to speak. We want to understand what the week is providing to us and build our play based on that. So the way I'm seeing it, as I say every week, the the way I'm seeing it might be different from the way Hilo's seeing it, might be different from the way Xandamir is seeing it, or Mike is seeing it, or Sonic is seeing it, or Poppy is seeing it, or Larejo is seeing it, and on down the list, and might be different from the way you are seeing it. So take this as just one piece in the bucket. And as I also often say, ideally 75, 80% of, of how you're handling the slate is going to come from your own thoughts. And then you can scoop pieces from a lot of other people that you trust and respect. You respect their thoughts, you respect their gameplay. And then you can say, okay, oh, here's something I hadn't thought of, or this reaffirms my thought here, or this challenges my thought over here. And you can kind of build out that last 25% or 15% of your play from what you're pulling from other people. So again, this is the way I'm seeing it. But the way I'm seeing it is that this is sort of the the type of slate where I don't want to necessarily, uh, like, you've seen it in my player pools, if you've kind of paid attention to all the stuff I've talked about, about how I've built out my rosters and stuff, right? My highest confidence plays are my highest owned plays. And so in week three, for example, if you can remember back to week three, that was the uh, Vikings and Chargers week. In week three, I was 44% Justin Jefferson. I was 44% Mike Williams at that 6K price tag. I was 26% Keenan Allen. That was the game where he threw the touchdown pass and put up 45 or whatever it was, DraftKings points. I was 26% Amari Cooper against the Tennessee Titans where he was relatively low owned and put up almost 30 DraftKings points. Uh, I was... 34% 34% Tank Dell at 3,600, and he put up his 28-pointer, and I was uh, 16% or 18% Adam Thielen, and he put up his 34 points at 3,900. And then last week, it was that that Rams block of players where I was 80% Tutu Atwell, 80% Puka Nakua, 80% Kyron Williams, mixing and matching tons of double Rams rosters across my builds and uh, a decent number, like a 35 to 40% of my rosters had all three of those guys together. And all three of those guys together ended up being on my roster that finished 16th out of 1100 entries in the, in the single entry red zone on my roster that finished second out of a thousand entries in the single entry double spy, uh, taking those guys as a block of guaranteed points. And those were my high confidence plays, right? And you see what the ownership looked like on those plays. And then you kind of mix and match the pieces from there. This week, I there will be some guys on my rosters who are really highly owned, but it's it's less high confidence than in other weeks. And actually here in a moment, I can get to uh, some of the pieces. And again, this is the, the way that this week shapes up is a lot of these decisions, a lot, a lot of this is 
I think it will be this way, but it has a little bit more flexibility than normal to change. But uh, this week I'll have some some higher owned pieces because that's how I build out my player pool, but the, they will be less high confidence than normal. And I'll probably have more spread out ownership than normal. So my running back pool was like that last week. I broke that down in at least in the inner circle podcast, which uh, speaking of that, this week's winner circle Wednesday podcast. Usually it's for inner circle members only. It is a big picture training podcast. We always talk macro DFS strategy theory through the lens of the slate behind us or the slate ahead of us. Uh, This week, what I did was, and I'm mentioning this because we put it on the free, the one week season podcast feed. Uh, This week, I, I... through the against the backdrop of the idea that we learn more from observing than from being taught things, uh, said differently, more is caught than is taught. Uh, so it's hard to observe somebody building DFS rosters, but I wanted to create something that was sort of the equivalent of that. And I, I took my week four play and I broke down what my approach was, why I approached things that way, what my thought processes were in different spots. Uh, it was my most profitable week of the season, but it was also my least sharp week of the season. If we could have played out, you know, week three was my, was my only unprofitable week so far. I've been really fortunate, um, to have three out of four profitable weeks. It's not, not easy to do as a tournament only player. And so, you know, it's been, been nice that I've had this hot start week three was my only unprofitable week. And it would have been a more profitable week than week four if we could have played out week three a hundred times. If we could have played out week four a hundred times, uh, I made a little, a few more mistakes in week four than I did in week three, and just really worked out. You know, in the small sample size of one week. So it was my most profitable weeks, but, but uh, my most profitable week of the season. Uh, but I was also able to examine some of the mistakes that I made, some of the reasons why I felt like um, it was still, I still positioned myself to be profitable if we could have played out that slate a hundred times, but less profitable than some of my other weeks on the season. So I was able to look at that. And then I was also able to kind of look at uh, how I built my rosters, which also translates to why I build my rosters the way I built them. And then how I selected my single entry and three max rosters, or again, why I selected the rosters that I selected, why they stood out to me, uh, why I entered the different ones into the spots where I entered them. And I also walked through, which I've done before in places you guys have heard it, but I walked through my process of the week and I walked through it in a way that hopefully really encourages you and positions you to build out your own process. It is, it is so, I mean, it's just such an edge to know that, okay, every week the goal is just to do, have a really good Tuesday. And if I have a really good Tuesday and Tuesday is designed in such a way that Wednesday is going to build on top of that. And, and again, I always talk about it as a funnel. You want like a, you want to start the week with a broad funnel. You can also look at it as a pyramid, right? So it's like Tuesday is the base of the pyramid and Wednesday is the next level of the pyramid and Thursday is the next level of the pyramid. So you keep building closer to like that fine point so that on Saturday night, you're going to have the, all the best plays from the slate are going to be in your player pool. And you're not going to have, there's not going to be anybody who goes for a monster game and you're like, I didn't consider that guy or that guy wasn't in my player pool. And even if you're playing single entry or three entry max, I'll say it over and over again, but that idea of, even if you're not using an optimizer, but that idea of you still want to kind of start with you know, Nico Collins was on my my second place roster last week. Well, if I was just building a, a single entry player pool, he wouldn't have been in that player pool. Devon Achan was on my 16th place roster last week. If I were just building a single entry player pool, he would not have been in my player pool. But he was in my MME player pool and he, those those guys were in my MME player pools and showed up on rosters that looked really good and that I really liked. And therefore I was able to enter them into three entry uh, and uh, uh, three max and single entry play. So even if you're hand building that idea of like, what is the MME player pool this week? Who are the pieces that could go for those tournament winning scores? And then maybe 
how do I blend some of those into my single entry three max play that I'm hand building? Or again, if you're building with an optimizer, maybe you're not doing any MME, you're just doing single entry three max, but you still build out an MME pool. You still allow the optimizer to build those hundred rosters that you're going to shop through. And again, I talk through in that winter circle podcast, what I'm looking for as I'm shopping through the rosters and, and what my process is for doing that. And again, it's not a lengthy process. It's a, it's a 30, 40 minute thing. And it, you know, as I say on these things, like that extra 30, 40 minutes, we're trying to make money here, right? Like, what are you going to do? Scroll on your phone for 30, 40 minutes? Like, like these, these little things that give you those extra edges are so valuable. So I uh, want to encourage you to listen to that podcast. If you have not done so already, it's on the one week season podcast feed. Uh, it is called like winter circle special or something like that. So uh, you can find that there. All right. So pulling things back to this week, when I build out my player pool for that hundred for the 150 rosters that sort of determines what my single entry rosters are going to look like because as I'm going game by game and I'm and I'm filling out my uh, allocations on my roster my percentages on my roster well again take that example of two weeks ago I start seeing like okay well clearly Justin Jefferson Mike Williams Keenan Allen Amari Cooper Adam Thielen Tank Dell these are guys who are going to be in strong contention for my single entry three max play. And what I want for that core is players who have a high ceiling, who have a tournament winning ceiling, but also have a, have fewer things they need to get right in order to hit that type of ceiling and who probably won't crater my roster. Even if they miss, I'm going to have players on my rosters on my single entry three, three max rosters who can crater my rosters if they miss. But I want my core, which ends up being these guys who are highest owned to be the guys who that can't happen with. So similarly, that week three week, I ended up with 26% Kenneth Walker, a guy I typically preach against because week three was actually only his third career game over 20 DraftKings points. But as the running back position has gotten thinned out and Kenneth Walker was, I think he was like 6,100 that week, but you know, he breaks that psychological barrier of 6K, but really he's the same price as all these 5,800, 5,700 guys. And most of those guys, it was like, they could get you five points or could get you 25. Whereas Kenneth Walker, you know, he always, the reason he's always popular is because he always gets like 14, 15, 16, 17 points. He's the Keenan Allen of running back, right? He never kills your roster, but he just rarely puts up these ceiling games. And so on that particular week where it was like, well, there's really no, I built out my, I was, I was never going to look at Kenneth Walker that week and say, all right, he's going to be my highest owned running back. But as I built, or maybe, you know, there was some other running back that was higher on than him, the second highest owned running back, whatever it was. But as I built out my allocations, I started realizing, well, like I'm on all these guys who could hit, could miss. And here's a guy who he can hit. And uh, if he misses, he's not going to miss that bad. Right. So he ended up at 26%. And I was fortunate that he ended up putting up, you know, one of his rare 30 point games in that particular week. But all that to say that the, as I build out my my percentages, I'm able to end up with this core that is kind of the higher confidence core. And then I have the guys who are anywhere from like, generally speaking, 6% on my rosters to like 12, 14% of my rosters. And any of them could be on a single entry or three max build. And those are all going to be typically guys who have pathways to putting up one of the highest scores on the slate or one of the highest point per dollar scores on the slate at their position, but also have a pretty wide range of outcomes. Uh, so last week it ended up being the Rams core, the Puka and Tutu and Kyron Williams core, where I realized that whole offense had a pretty high floor among those three guys and the, the dedicated salary you could have to those guys. Um, and then kind of mixed and match the upside pieces from there. So this week I have a less clear sense of what those core pieces will be. And I say all of that again, just to say that's sort of how this week shapes up. It's not a thing of, it's not as if I know the NFL less well or know these teams less well than I did last week. It's not as if I put in less time than I did last week. Uh, I have my process. I have my Tuesday and I had a great Tuesday. I have my Wednesday and I had a great Wednesday. I have my, I have my Thursday process and I had a great Thursday and all of that built to this point in the week. And it has still built to a point where I'm like, Ooh, I kind of don't know exactly where I'm going. So you'll see in the player grid, right? That, uh, Patrick Mahomes is the only blue chip player. Obviously we, we typically only have 
anywhere from zero to one or two blue chip players. Patrick Mahomes is the only blue chip player uh, from the research this week in terms of, hey, extremely low likelihood of price considered failure and pretty good shot at putting up, you know, one of the top scores at his position. Light blue chips, the Falcons backfield, the Lions backfield, Derrick Henry. Uh, but none of those are like, you know, Bijan Robinson. We also talked this week about he has one carry inside the 10 yard line and he is kind of this, you know, 65, 70% of the backfield touches type of player, which is, is great, right? That's most lead backs. There aren't that many 85 to 90% running backs in today's NFL and this, this current, like last few years version of the NFL. But you know, there's a lot of guys in the 5k range or low 6k range who are 70% backs, 70% of the touches running backs as well. So you're banking on Bijan Robinson having a big game. You're betting on his talent and the matchup more than you are just betting on the opportunity, the workload, right? Which provides more pathways to him disappointing and fewer pathways to him putting up a had to have it score. So again, against the context of what this week provides, he really is a light blue chip. Like he's probably not finishing below 16, 17 points, and he can easily get you 22, 23, 24 points. But can he get you 36? Can he get you 34? Can he get you a score that if you didn't have and you're like, ah, oh God, why didn't I have Bijan Robinson? Of course, he can get that, but his chances are quite a bit lower than what you might see on a typical weekend. Similar with Derrick Henry. Now, there are some edges uh, developing around Derrick Henry in that Quiddy Pay is now out for the Colts defensive line and probably more importantly, Shaq Leonard, the Colts superstar linebacker who has you know missed, I think, all of last season or almost all of last season. And, um, it just, the defense is totally different. The Colts defense is totally different, whether he is in there or, or not, he will now be missing this week. Uh, Derek Henry has, has, uh, spun off six consecutive 100 yard games against the Colts in games that he has actually finished the game when he got hurt a couple years ago was against the Colts. So it didn't actually finish that game, but, um, Derek Henry sharp play, but he's also got one of the worst offensive lines to date so far this season and very clearly could end up with like a 16 point game right and so the light blue chips this week david montgomery i mean my goodness the guy has two targets i think on the season or something like that like david montgomery obviously in a great matchup and amon ross st brown out and jameson williams going to be kind of slowly pulled back into this offense and probably see a lot of two tight end sets for the lions against a team that's difficult to pass on and really easy to run on a game that the lions should control like david montgomery really solid play but could still get 25 carries not reach a hundred yards and only score one touchdown. Right. And all of a sudden that's not a great score at his price tag. And so that just gives you an example of kind of what this week provides in that those are the types of players who are ascending to, you know, light blue chip status for me on this slate. Obviously there are the, the build around spots, the, the, teams and the games that I'm building around, which kind of, you know, obviously those are producing some well, most of the pieces that I'm pulling for upside on this week. We can get to that in the player grid. But uh, I say all of that again, just to give that sense of what this week provides and what we need to be thinking about um, this week. And, and I'd say that the main thing we need to be thinking about is keeping our mind open, not getting too married to any pieces of chalk, because again, the chalk is forming based on the fact that chalk always forms, uh, less because these plays are so clearly better than other plays on the slate. Uh, and then kind of looking for these opportunities for where can we find uh, the pieces that provide some level of pretty solid floor. Where can we find, I'll say it like this, my my goal with my rosters every week is to have that solid core that has a, that needs far fewer things to go right in order to put up that three and a half X to four X score. And those don't necessarily need to be the guys who win me the tournament. You know, I talked last week about that Rams three-player block that they cost 18.2K in salary. And that meant they needed about 72 to 73 points to go 4X their salary to keep you on a 200-point pace. But even if they went for 60 points, and so and I had to kind of really work through this last week because the, the three-player Rams block 
had gone for 72 plus points in two of their previous three weeks. Uh, that was, you know, throw, throw Cam Akers touchdown on, onto Kyron Williams week one score, but, um, because Cam Akers was gone and Kyron Williams was getting the whole backfield to himself. But, um, you know, essentially that three player block had gone for four X two uh, out of three weeks to start the season. But when I was kind of breaking down the numbers and, and how the production was going to shake out, it was like, well, the likeliest outcome is that these three combine for about 60 points, but even combining for 60 points at 18.2 K in salary, like that's keeping you on like 165, 170 point pace. And it is uh, and we won't go too deep into this. We've talked about it a lot over the years about why we do player blocks or why we stack and that the value is less about raising your ceiling and more about raising your floor so that you now get three roster spots correct at once. And now you're way ahead of the field just because the math, it's so hard to get nine spots correct. Um, for more on this, be an inner circle member because we talk, we talk constantly about this stuff and we examine rosters and break this down and understand how to build rosters in order to give ourselves fewer things we need to get right. But again, we, we want these blocks to have the capacity to go well over four X their combined salary. But even if they don't, they're so valuable just getting that block of guaranteed points and getting multiple spots on our roster correct at once. And a large chunk of our salary correct at once, because then it allowed me in the example of last week, to take swings on the Nico Collinses and the Devon Achans and whoever else I had on my roster that that did end up hitting for big games because I'm building around this solid core and then I can say, okay, and now who has a, maybe a low floor, but they can post this huge game. If you have a whole roster full of guys like that, you're almost never going to get nine of them correct at once. But if you knock out three spots or four spots or, you know, two thirds of, or not two thirds, like a third of your salary at one time and get all of that correct, well, now you give yourself that opportunity for to hit, you know, the three or four other spots on your roster that can shoot you up to a tournament win. So the question for me this week is, where do I find if, if in fact, let me go ahead and, and look at ownership real quickly to kind of to give a better example of this right now. And this is Friday afternoon, but right now, Joe Mixon is currently our highest projected owned player at 27%. So let's keep in mind the DFS field isn't dumb. We know that chalk forms from projections. Projections are pretty sharp at this point or as sharp as they can, you know, kind of be, uh, uh, chalk also comes from some really sharp people that everybody listens to. And so when I'm, why, why I'm going through these higher owned pieces is to show you that like, this is what this week is giving us for most popular pieces. Since the start of last season, Joe Mixon has topped 18.1 DraftKings points twice. And one of those was 21.5 points. So he has topped 21.5 points one time since the start of last season. And this is a guy who is 6,400. Ideally, you want him to score at minimum 25 points. He's coming in at 27% projected ownership. And going back to the start of last season, he has topped, he has gotten close to or above that 25 point mark in 5.5% of his games. And yet 27% of the field is going to be like, yeah, yeah, I'll take a shot on this guy. Uh, Jamar Chase, uh, 27% projected ownership in this, you know, decent matchup, but against an Arizona team that's going to try to keep the ball in front of them. Obviously, this could change if T. Higgins is able to play this week. Could be a game-time decision. It'll be interesting to see how people react to that. 22.8% uh, on Devon Achan, who played 39 snaps last week to 28 for Raheem Mostert. And uh, Raheem Mostert had more snaps in the first half. And realistically, this uh, for, for a large number of reasons, we really should expect this to be roughly a 50-50 split. Over time, this should turn out to be a 50-50 split. Uh, or I should say, you know, over the next few weeks, this should continue to be a 50-50 split in this backfield. So you're talking about a guy who's probably getting around 14 to 16 touches and obviously can post a monster game on limited touches as we've seen, but still a guy probably getting 14 to 16 touches and he is projected to be over 20% owned. 
Then we have Alvin Kamara, also around 20%, a player who in his last 20 games has cracked 22 points twice. So 10% of the time he has cracked 22 points and he is, you know, that means 10% of the time he's still fallen a little bit shy of the score you would want, right? 22 points doesn't win you a t- over 22 points of his salary doesn't win you a tournament, but at least, you know, he gets over 22 points. You feel pretty good. 10% of the time he's done that over his last 20 games. And yet 20% of the tournament field is going to be like, yeah, yeah, we'll go with this guy. Uh, Titans defense, 21.3% own, not because they're such a smash play, but because they're 2,400 and people are like, well, you know, they, they're they 2,400. They open up a lot and they can have a good game against Anthony Richardson. Uh, Bijan Robinson, 20% own. And as we've talked about, he can put up a 35-pointer, but his chances are pretty slim. His likeliest range of outcomes is kind of that 17 to 25-point range. Uh, so kind of can go down the list. But the point is here that none of these plays are bad plays either in the context of this slate. All of these are solid plays in the context of this slate, but the fact that all of the, these guys are seeing such high ownership and we can look through and say, well, you know, just, just based on past production, it's not like, it's not like the, you know, teams have had a tough time against the Cardinals. It's not like this is just such a standout spot for Jamar Chase and for Joe Mixon. It's not like Devon Achan has a, well, he does against the Giants, but it's not like, uh, you know, the, the 14 to 16 touches is still 14 to 16 touches, right? The floor is still low in terms of his expected workload. You know, maybe he surprises and spikes for 20 touches. Uh, Alvin Kamara, the, against the Patriots, this is a worse spot than average for him to put up his third 22 plus point game in his last 20 games. And, and yet you can still say, well, sure. Like he's a solid play this week Uh, and on down the list. Right. So my point being, it's not like we're looking at these chalk pieces and saying, Oh, this is bad chalk. Like this is not, Joshua Kelly against the Titans run defense. This is not a situation like that where we're like, man, everybody's on this play and it's not a sharp play. All of these, if you take out ownership considerations and just look in the context of this slate, it's like, oh yeah, these are good. These are good plays in the context of this slate. And so you can't just say, oh, and these other plays over here are dramatically better than these plays that everybody's going to be on. So that just makes for a very interesting week And so what I want to encourage you to do is hunt for some opportunities where you can say, okay, here are my higher confidence plays and and then maybe I'll mix in some of this chalk as well, but then also take in some, some really big swings from there. Uh, so that brings me to a couple other things I want to talk about and it will roll into the bottom up build. So the, uh, first thing I want to talk about Wandell Robinson currently coming in projected for 19.6% ownership. Wandell Robinson, uh, 3k in salary and is very clearly underpriced. Uh, I've said throughout the week, Wandell Robinson probably should be priced around 4,200 to 4,500. And that is true. At the same time, we should also note and be aware of the fact that we frequently see players priced at 4,200 to 4,500 put up nine points, 12 points, 13 points. And that's the likeliest range of outcomes for Wandell Robinson. So strictly through the lens of point per dollar multipliers, even through the lens of saying, uh, you know, there's the other format of, of 3x plus seven is, is kind of the the mark you should shoot for in a player salary. Well, even there, 3x plus 7 for Wondell Robinson, 16 points, right? You get that. That's pretty solid as for a 3K player. 16 points actually would be pretty nice uh, for Wondell Robinson at, at 3K. And as we've examined throughout the week, he's capable of putting up 20. He put up 22 in his last game of the season last year. At the same time, his likeliest outcome is a nine to 14 point game. So from a salary multiplier standpoint, that's really good. But from a standpoint of does he help you win a tournament, the only way that helps you win a tournament is if the 9K guy you're paying up for, the 8,500 guy you're paying up for, whatever it might be, puts up 38 points, 40 points, 42 points, one of these scores that you really needed to have in order to win on this particular week. 
Well, this particular week, we have Justin Jefferson taking on Kansas City, and obviously that could be a high-scoring game, and obviously Justin Jefferson could ball out and put up 40-plus points, but also his likeliest outcome is kind of one of these 27 to 32-point games. That's not to talk you off Justin Jefferson. I'll definitely have some Justin Jefferson this week, uh, but it's just to say it's not as if the likeliest scenario is him putting up 40-plus points. So if you free up that salary on Wondell Robinson and get 12 points, and then you get 27 points from Justin Jefferson, and that's 39 points, well, you really could have gotten better bang for your buck getting two guys in the 5 to 6K range who might both be able to get you 30 and combine for 60 points instead of these two guys combining for 30 points, right? But let's keep in mind that Tank Dell hit for 28 points at 3,600. Let's keep in mind that Adam Thielen hit for 34 points at 3,900. That Amari Cooper hit for 28 points at 5,700. Mike Williams hit for 28 points at 6K. Uh, Nico Collins just hit for 38 points at 5,100. We see this week in and week out. These guys and kind of these these mid-tier pricing or even the lower-priced guys who are capable of these bigger games. So in terms of Wondell Robinson, the we always want to think of players not in terms of just what they add to our roster, but also what they take away from our roster. So if you play Wondell Robinson, again, he can get you 20 points. And if he does, he ends up being a, a pretty great play. But if you just play him saying, well, you know, he's probably going to get 9 to 12 points, and that's pretty solid for his price tag, while he's also then taking away a spot that could be used on somebody who could go for 30-plus points. So always think about that when you're putting a player onto your roster. And, and, and just because Wondell Robinson is very clearly underpriced doesn't mean that he's an auto play. So I think there can be a tendency when hand building to be like, well, I can't avoid Wondell Robinson, but keep an open mind there, recognizing that he is a sharp play, but there are also other directions that you can go. And if he doesn't end up getting that 20 pointer, there are probably going to be people who are beating. Yes, it's great that everybody else got these 12 points or whatever it is. Uh, but there are probably those people are probably not finishing first in the tournament because somebody else in their tournament is finding a better way to use their salary, a better way to use those roster spots. And especially on a week where, uh, Jamar Chase is interesting, right? I won't even go there. It's like, um, he can hit for a monster game. Burrow has looked so bad. He's so immobile. The Cardinals are going, going to try to obviously prevent Jamar Chase from being the guy who beats them, but also Jamar Chase, the Cardinals are fine giving up underneath targets. So Jamar Chase could catch 11 passes for 100 yards, and that's 24 points before and he scores, and he scores a touchdown or two, and that's 30, 36 points. So uh, Jamar Chase could hit for a big game, but his likeliest outcome is more in that, like, low 20s type of range. Um, Bijan Robinson, we've already touched on. Justin Jefferson, we just touched on. So a lot of these guys, Tyree Kill can obviously go for a, a blow-up game, but if the Dolphins just completely take control of this one early, well, maybe he ends up only getting 25 points before they take their foot off the gas. So a lot of these players that you're paying down in order to pay up for this other guy, this guy you're paying up for, it's not like they're just a clear smash 35 to 40 point play with potential for 50. And so keep that in mind as well as you mess around with these cheaper guys. Uh, Wondell Robinson is the one I really wanted to highlight there, but that goes for any of these cheaper guys that you're taking just saying, hey, hopefully they get me 12 points. Um, again, Wondell Robinson is a sharp place to save salary this week. Uh, I will certainly have my fair share of Wandell Robinson rosters, but especially for you hand builders, uh, just keep in mind, like it, there can be that tendency to be like, oh, well, I've got to play Wandell Robinson. He's so, so underpriced, but that doesn't just cause he's underpriced doesn't mean that he's going to help people win a tournament this week. The other thing I want to talk about here is I, I've said a lot, like, you know, kind of the focus of this is like, I don't really know where I'm going and I don't know where those really kind of core certain points are on this week because we just looked through the chalk and we could poke big holes in all that chalk. And yet all of that chalk is still among the better plays on this weekend. Uh, so I hope that like that, that like path that we followed kind of shows you what makes this week so unique, right? It's not that it's bad chalk. It's just that it wouldn't be chalk on most other weeks in the context of this week. These are among the better plays on this slate, and yet they're not that great of plays. They're not that high confidence of plays. So where do we find, 
you know, a few weeks ago for me, it was like, Hey, here's some of the wide receivers. I just really like, and it was fortunate that they all hit and that the like highest on running back on my, on my builds also hit last week. It was the Rams pieces. So what could it be this week? So again, things are pretty wide open for me. And so I don't want to talk about this and, and imply that this is what I'm definitely doing. But last week around this point was where I was saying, I will, I I was saying on, I think I said it on this podcast last week that I'm not hundred percent sure that I will, but I'll probably have a rule of one Rams player on every roster. And you could also play easily play two on a lot of rosters. And I think I even said that I'll probably, I, I could have one Rams piece on every roster and a lot of rosters with two of them. And then ended up realizing, Oh, you can actually go with three of them. So uh, this is said in similar context to that, to where this could actually end up. I take a couple more steps down this path and this is really where I end up. Or it could be like, this is an idea that I have. And it's like, maybe I don't end up going there as much myself. So I want to give that context first. I also want to say that this is, I've been playing around with the numbers and this is actually very sharp. So even if I don't end up going here myself, maybe I'll have something else that I find on Saturday night and goes into the the update on Sunday morning. But this is something that you could grab and use for yourself if you want to and recognize that it is sharp. And that is this Cardinals offense. This Cardinals offense that people just don't like, well, I guess I I shouldn't say people just don't seem to be on because uh, Marquise Brown is getting high projections for ownership. Zach Ertz is getting high projections for ownership. Uh, This game as a whole on the, on the Bengal side is getting high projections for ownership. And it won't surprise me if Michael Wilson ends up seeing some ownership, even though it doesn't look like he's currently popping in ownership projections. He's currently at 5.8% for us. So, uh, but people aren't really on Josh Dobbs, which is kind of crazy to me. This guy has put up 23 and 25 points in two of his last three games. Furthermore, he has played well, not only played, but played well against the Cowboys and the 49ers across the last two weeks. He put up 17 DraftKings points against the Cowboys. He put up 23 DraftKings points against the 49ers and then obviously put up 25 DraftKings points against the Giants in week two. But also, I opened this talking about where can we find just that core of points that maybe this isn't what wins us the tournament. But also, it has pathways to being the pieces that can win us the tournament. And it it just gives us that solid block of points that we can then build upside pieces around and gives us fewer things we need to get right and a higher level of confidence. So this is pretty wild. And we're about to get to the bottom up build and you can see where we're going with this. But this is pretty wild. Uh, Josh Dobbs, Marquise Brown, Zach Ertz, Michael Wilson, (laughs) these four guys combined would have kept you on a 180 point pace in week two against the Giants and would have kept you on a 225 point pace week four against one of the best defenses in the NFL in the 49ers. Playing all four of these guys together would have kept you on on basically a tournament winning pace because even that 180 points like we've said then you mix in like the guys who can go well above maybe they have a broader range of outcomes but mix and match in pieces that can go well above their uh salary multiplier from there right like nico collins last week went what did he go like almost 8x his salary so you can find the guys who have the potential to put up the types of scores like that and you can more freely take swings on those types of pieces because you have kind of this solid score, this solid core of points. Now, all of this hinges on Dobbs not having an an awful game, right? If Dobbs has a bad game, then all of this falls apart. But this is a relatively concentrated offense. Rondell Moore is somewhat involved, but it's always schemed targets close to or behind the line of scrimmage. So in terms of the actual passing attack, everything is really flowing through Wilson and Hollywood and Ertz. Uh, Ertz dropped a uh, the last week where they kept you on a 225 point pace was with Michael Wilson scoring 
two touchdowns. Ertz also dropped a touchdown right at the end of the game. So that would have added, um, you know, actually would have added about eight more points from the catch, the yards, the touchdown would have added about eight more points. Oh, and then Dobbs would have gotten the touchdown too. So 12 more points that it would have uh, added to your total score and would have kept you on that much higher of a pace. Uh, actually just ran the numbers would have kept you <laughs> uh, had had Ertz not dropped that touchdown pass Dobbs plus Michael Wilson plus Hollywood plus Ertz would have kept you on a 260 point pace against the 49ers defense uh, the game against the Giants where you would have been kept on a uh, 180 point pace. Uh, the three pass catchers accounted for only one touchdown in that game. Had they accounted for two touchdowns in that game, they would have kept you on a 200 point pace. So this block of players is very interesting this week. Taking that another step is that James Connor is only 5,800. Now I don't want to play all five guys together because you do get to you start getting to a point where there are only so many points available on an offense and so the chances of things skewing in such a way like skewing to the upside start to get removed i'll say it like that um and then you end up more boxing yourself into like that three and a half x salary multiplier 3.3 to 3.6 x salary multiplier from the from the group of players um and so you want to kind of give yourself that leeway for opportunity for it to skew all the way to the upside. But uh, taking James Conner and throwing him into this bucket of these five players, it's very interesting to me to play a lot of Dobbs doubles and Dobbs triples this week and basically say, man, you throw these guys in together. And as long as Dobbs has another 20 plus point game Dobbs three straight games with 40 plus rushing yards and two passing touchdowns if Dobbs can do that again against a Bengals defense that has been really pretty bad to start the season all of a sudden Dobbs plus two or three of the players on that offense ends up being a really nice way to start out a roster so that's one of the most interesting things I'm playing around with at this point in the week. It doesn't quite fit the same mold as the last two weeks where two weeks ago, I've got these wide receivers who are mixed and matched across all of my rosters. Last week, I had these three Rams pieces who were mixed and matched across all of my rosters. Well, I'm not going to go 100% Josh Dobbs because there are some quarterbacks on this slate who, you know, maybe Mahomes goes for, for 38 points and maybe Matthew Stafford goes for 28, 29 points for 400 more than Dobbs and Dobbs gets 22, 23, or maybe Dobbs has a bad game and goes for 14 points. And then all of my rosters are sunk. And I always like to give myself out. Right. Uh, and then obviously if I'm, if I'm playing the Cardinals pass catching pieces in bulk. I want to be playing Dobbs with him because he's so cheap and he has a rushing upside and he's a kind of a critical part of that block working out. Uh, and then I'll, I'll, you know, I'll have some James Connor away from Dobbs rosters. I'll have some one-offs of Cardinals pieces away from Dobbs, but it won't surprise me if I have a Cardinals piece on every roster or on almost every roster this week. And I will certainly have a large chunk of rosters that are Dobbs doubles and Dobbs triples. So for me, for my own play, that doesn't quite solve the problem across my 150 rosters of what is the what is the core where I'm just saying, hey, like I feel really confident in my chances of getting solid points right here. And always these things can fail. But it's like if you're always finding that core that has a really high probability bet at three and a half X or higher with pathways to four and a half X or higher, more weeks than not, those are going to keep you in good shape and you can mix and match those upside pieces around you. So for my 150 rosters, this doesn't totally solve the problem on all of my non-Dobbs rosters of what those core other core pieces will be. But for you, if you want to borrow that for some of your single entry three max play, uh, that is an interesting core to play around with where you can say, hey, here's some points that I can feel really confident in, in getting. And you know, maybe it doesn't work out, but the likeliest outcome here is that I'm keeping on this 300 and or this uh, 3.5x to, to 4.5x pace, this uh, 175 point to 225 point pace with upside for more than that. Uh, and then I can mix and match in some upside pieces from there. Moving over to the bottom up build. If you're new here, the bottom up build conceptually, uh, this all started from a point of us saying, 
So many people start their roster builds from the top down. They figure out the expensive pieces they want to fit, and then they find the salary that they 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 come up with reasons why these salary savers can have a big game. Well, this guy can have a big game if this happens and this happens. Uh, and it's like, well, I've got 3,600 left in salary. And oh, here's a guy at 3,600 or a guy at 3,500 who could actually hit if these things happen, right? And that ends up really restricting our chances of having these first place finishes. Uh, instead, we like to start from the bottom up find the cheaper guys that we feel confident in their ability, their potential to have a big game, uh, and then sort of move up in salary from there. This evolved into us using the bottom-up build to talk about how would we build this if Everybody, we're working with 44K in salary, which allows us to talk a little bit more about strategy. Uh, We've de-emphasized that portion of the bottom-up build a little bit over the last year or two as we've built in so many other areas on the site and so many other um, content, so much other content in the scroll and other podcasts where we really do focus on the strategy stuff. But it still does give us an opportunity to talk about how we build, you know, this used to be like the one place where we really got to talk about how do we build build rosters from a game theory perspective, a strategy perspective. Um, Now we talk about that in so many other places that it's less important to talk about that here. But that led to us starting the bottom up build contest where we actually do have a 44k salary cap. Uh, So you can find that linked in my player grid or in the OWS Discord in the uh, bottom-up build channel or tab or whatever you call that. Uh, link to the bottom-up build 200-entry contest. Rules are simple. Build with, build with a salary cap of 44K or below. If you win, you win, I think it's a $250 worth of uh, OWS courses. You also get a special Discord color so that everybody knows you are a bottom-up build winner. Last week's bottom-up build winner, Brewman Chu, scored 190 DraftKings points, spending 44K in salary. Shout out to Brewman Chu. So again, it, it's a really cool exercise because it helps us to it it helps to train us in seeing that the biggest upside isn't always going to come from the highest priced players. Uh, so with that, my bottom up build this week starts with a core block of Josh Dobbs, Marquise Brown, Michael Wilson, and Zach. Ertz. At running back, uh, I went with, uh, so this was kind of thrown together right before we got on, right before I got on air. So I'm literally just now realizing I actually have two pieces from the Jets, which is uh, non-ideal, but gives us an opportunity to talk about the Jets a little bit, which I wanted to do. Uh, Brees Hall at running back, Garrett Wilson at wide receiver. So Garrett Wilson is at wide receiver because originally I had Jonathan Mingo and Cooper Cup. Uh, Cooper Cup, who I think will see 10 to 13 targets this week. I think he'll play 70% of the snaps, but he'll be out there in a lot of the passing situations, all the high leverage situations. And I think that he'll he'll go under own because people will be waiting to see like how much he plays in this first game and, and what it looks like for Cup and Nakua to be on the field together, which makes it a good week to get on Cooper Cup. But then I was thinking, well, you know, then I'm trying to get 30 points from Cup. And what am I getting from Jonathan Mingo? Mingo could get you 20 points, but he, and I do like Mingo this week. I think he's a very sneaky tournament play, but I'll have him on like six, 7% of my rosters. I would have to imagine, uh, Mingo can get you a 20 point game, but he probably gets you, you know, eight to 12 points. And, and so then I was thinking, well, rather than pairing my salary in a way that I'm probably getting 40 to 50 or, or even 35 to 50, what if I find these two mid-priced guys, as we talked about earlier in today's show, these two mid-priced guys who can both go for 30 points. So that led me to moving off of Jonathan Mingo and Cooper Cup over to Garrett Wilson and Nico Collins for a little bit less in salary, recognizing that Nico Collins can go for 30, Garrett Wilson can go for 30. So right now, players we've mentioned, uh, the four Cardinals pieces Brees Hall, Garrett Wilson, and Nico Collins. I'll actually wrap up this roster and then I'll talk about uh, the couple, the, the jet spot and the running back that, uh, the, that I'm about to mention. So uh, final two pieces on this bottom-up build, Raheem Mostert at running back and the Patriots defense. Okay, so the I'll talk about the Jets and I'll talk about Raheem Mostert and then we'll close this out. The Jets, I don't know how they're going to call this game, but I don't think that... Uh, first step one, Zach Wilson looks good. 
and he doesn't didn't just look good against the Chiefs. He looked good for big stretches against the Cowboys. The stat line looked bad because the Jets were way behind in the fourth quarter. They got into this wild comeback mode, and Zach Wilson throws two picks, and the narrative becomes, oh, same old Zach Wilson. But he actually looked really good for large chunks of that game. The Patriots the week after that gave him fits, but there were stretches, especially in the fourth quarter, I think was when he had that drive, uh, where he looked really good. And that, that one drive I'm referencing, Tony Romo said after the drive that it was the, the best drive of Zach Wilson's career. Like, there were stretches in that game against a really tough Patriots defense when he looked really good. And then against Kansas City, after the, the first quarter, Zach Wilson looked really good in that game. And now he's taking on this, this Broncos defense that has looked really bad. So, I expect Zach Wilson to look like a really good NFL quarterback here. At the same time, I don't know that, that there's still going to be kind of a short to intermediate passing attack. Their defense should do well against the Broncos. They should try to keep the ball on the ground. Uh, Zach Wilson will probably throw 35, 33 to 35 passes and end up kind of in that 250 passing yard range. So I'll have some Zach Wilson. He won't be central to my builds, but I think that that makes Garrett Wilson very interesting this week. Garrett Wilson is not going to go overlooked. He's only 6K. Everybody just saw Zach Wilson look better. Everybody knows what the Broncos defense has looked like so far this year. But uh, Garrett Wilson is a sharp play this week. Brees Hall is going to probably be owned at a higher rate than he should be because Robert Sala made fantasy headlines saying that there are no snap restrictions on Brees Hall. It wasn't as if he came out and, and made a big announcement saying, hey, look, we're giving this to Brees Hall, right? It's, it's He's just talking in the flow of talking about these things and saying there's no snap restrictions on Brees Hall. But I don't know that they're necessarily have been snap restrictions on him over the last couple of weeks, so much as this is still a backfield that they are going to rotate in Dalvin Cook. But I do expect that this is a game where Brees Hall should be able to get anywhere from 14 to 18 carries. Uh, I'll be surprised if he kind of get, gets up into that 20 plus carry range, but he is capable of hitting for a big game against this Broncos defense and on a pretty thin week uh, makes Brees Hall a very interesting piece. As for Raheem Mostert, Last week, Devon Achan played 39 snaps. Mostert played 28, but Mostert started the game. Mostert played more snaps in the first half. As I've talked about quite a bit, and Achan played more snaps uh, after that game kind of got out of hand and they were passing the ball a lot more. Uh, as I've talked about throughout this week, what we've seen, we talked about it in the DFS interpretations, but what we've seen from this backfield or what we saw last week was whoever starts a drive, if it's a longer drive for the Dolphins, whoever starts the drive is not finishing the drive. So it was like, say a nine play drive, Mostert starting it, and then A-Chan's closing it out. And then A-Chan opens the next drive, and maybe that's a seven or eight play drive, and A-Chan plays the first half of that drive, and Mostert closes it out. And then Mostert carries on to the next drive, and maybe it's a four play drive, and, and Mostert ends up playing the whole drive because of that. So then a-Chan plays the next drive. And so they've been very much alternating these guys back and forth, keeping them fresh, and I would expect that to continue this week. I like both these guys a lot. I have considered, speaking of places where I'm going to just kind of place firm bets, I have considered the idea of playing 55% Mostert this week and 55% A-Chan across my rosters. You do the math there, you see that that, that leads to about 10% of rosters where these guys are five to ten percent where these guys are overlapping together on on the same build, and have those two dolphin running back rosters, uh, and then the rest of them is it's saying you know, it's saying it like this: if there is a pie of forty points available to this dolphin's backfield, it's probably not split exactly down the middle. Now, if it is split exactly down the middle, then every roster where I have Moster and he gets twenty points, I'm like, well, that's a pretty good score for you know the running back position in in the running back in the current state of the running back position, every roster where I have HN, same thing. It's like, Oh, he got 20 points. It's pretty good for, for him. And I'll take that. But what would be likelier is that, you know, one guy gets 23 and the other gets 17 or one guy gets 25 and the other gets 15. One guy gets 28 and the other gets 12. And so by splitting them up, I ensure that whichever guy hits like half of my rosters are now in good shape at that running back spot from getting this really strong score. The ideal would be for Mostert to be the one who hits because A-Chan is going to be one of the most popular plays on the slate, which will lead to Mostert being extremely uh, under-owned. Let's see, right now, Mostert is projected for 4.3% ownership. So that would be the ideal. Uh, I don't know for sure that I'm going to go that direction, but I do think 
that in the context of this game environment, we should expect about 30 touches divided up between these two running backs. And if they combine for 30 touches, uh, there's a pretty good bet. There's a, a pretty good chance that that is, uh, well, the way I laid it out in my mind was uh, 170 rushing yards, plus you had the, uh, the one 100-yard bonus to get up to uh, 20 DraftKings points on the ground, add eight points through the air, add two touchdowns, that gets you 40 points. So obviously they have potential to combine for a lot more than that. They also have potential to combine for, you know, only 30 points or something like that, uh, in which case neither of these guys really helps you that much. And that's why I'm not totally sure that I will end up going that direction. But if we played out this game a hundred times, they're going to combine for kind of that 35 to 45 point range as their, as their sort of broad median range. And so with that, there is a case to be made for just cutting ownership down the middle on these two guys, putting them on, on separate rosters um, and seeing how that plays out. But on this particular bottom up build, uh, wanted to put Mostert on here to give me the opportunity to talk about this backfield and to mention that Mostert is still going to get, you know, potentially a few more touches than Achan or at worst, more than likely, a few fewer touches than Achan. And so that, that gives him similar upside at much lower ownership, making him a very interesting piece on this slate. With that, that does it for this week. So I will see you on the player grid. I will see you on the site throughout the weekend, and it won't be long before I will be seeing you at the top of the leaderboards on Sunday. Sunday.